0: uh, just did this awesome episode with Cameron Harold. Uh, what a stud! Guy just spoke at Mountain Valley. We we talk all about his new book, Second in Command. Uh, just such a killer story about his story coming up at one One Hundred Got Junk. All the stuff he's done to really popularize this idea of hiring that second in command in a business. I mean, he's just a, I, I I use this word very rarely. Cameron's a genius when it comes to all things around building businesses. So, so, so pumped to get to have him to be on the show, to promote the book. And then we we had this amazing conversation talking about him and his wife becoming digital nomads, how they did it. So many nuggets in the show. Enjoy the episode. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest. My man Cameron Harold is back and in the house. Cameron, what's going on?
1: Darius, good to see you again. I must say you're aging well. We met I think 15 years ago. You're looking good, buddy.
0: You know, I'm trying. <laughs> you're right. We did. We met. It was 15 years ago, birthing a giants, MIT Endicott House, and here we are in the going on 2023 right now. Um, I know it's wild. Time flies. Um, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll, we'll jump into the show? Does that work yeah, for you? For sure for sure. So, so listen, uh, listeners who are new to the show, uh, first of all, welcome to the greatness machine. Greatness machine. We're about two things. People are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my friend Cameron is neither short of passion nor greatness. In fact, I'd give him a triple dose of both of those. Um, and you know, so Cameron is a repeat, he's alumni of the show. He's, he did the show back when it was a live stream as, as we've been hearing, cause I've been bringing back some of my best, my best ofs. And um, man, I'm so pumped to have you here, man. You've been doing so many amazing things in the world. Um, I like to give a little bit of origin story, though, just to, for listeners, just because that's kind of part of the show. You know, so I met Cameron. He mentioned it early on that we that we met 15 years ago at Birthing of Giants. Um, that That's the MIT program that I am now in the alumni group of called G- Gathering of Titans um, that we talk about on the show. And he w- had just exited his position as COO of, of a... You know, decent. It was a nine-figure company that then called 1-800-GOT-JUNK that a few people might have heard of. Um, and, and and it was, this was like June of, uh, was it June of 07 or June of 06 when, when when you left that business? Because that oh, yeah, was when I, I met in, you.
1: Yeah, mid, mid-May of 2007.
0: Great. So I met him literally like a couple weeks right after that. And he came to present to us at BOG. We ended up hanging out in San Francisco a bit after that. And it's been a relationship where, where we've kind of traveled in similar circles, but I've really gotten to see you come up. And the one thing I'll say about Cameron that I love is you have gone as deep as I've ever seen someone go on the idea of really owning this position of second in command, the COO owning this, the, 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 really the the person that kind of owns what happens in the business on the day to day. And as we know, in the entrepreneurial world, we have the, the integrators and we have the you know, the, the, the visionaries and, and the COO has such an important role to, to really own. And you've just taken this idea because obviously you have some background there, not only as an entrepreneur, but as the COO of one Hunter got junk and, and you've now taken to this next level where you're celebrating the position, you're pouring into the position. And so we're going to be talking a lot today about your new book, Second in Command, which is all about that, as well as a lot of the other things you're doing. So, man, so, so pumped to have you here, my brother.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Darius. It's funny, we'll talk a little bit about the COO Alliance, I'm sure, but I'm actually hosting a COO Alliance event at Endicott House where we met 15 years ago. I've just booked it and we're holding, we're going to have like 40 or 50 COOs meeting there in September. So in 10 months, we'll be there and I'm going to drag a bunch of COOs into Endicott for the first time.
0: Oh man, that is that. Those are sacred hallowed grounds, as we yeah. say. Um, so I do want to I do want to um mention something though for listeners who are watchers and seeing the the video. You have an amazing. We all know I love pink, but you got some amazing pinkness going on. What's going on over there, my friend?
1: Um, well, my wife and I <laughs> sold our home in Arizona. Got rid of the home in Vancouver. Got rid of all of our assets. No cars. And we travel the world full time. And right now I'm back in Vancouver visiting with one of my sons. So I rented an Airbnb that's a block away from his place. And it, it's kind of a bit of a Alice in Wonderland on acid. I mean, it's it's got all this crazy stuff everywhere and lime green counters and two pink smeg smug smeg fridges, which are pretty baller. But yeah, it's a, it's a little pink. It's all right. I'm good.
0: You, you know, you, you are one of the more unique people I know in the world. And so only you would have such an amazing airbnb so i, I love I'm it i'm
1: very comfortable i paint my toenails so i'm comfortable with the color pink in a home if i can paint my toenails i'm good with having a pink home for a few days <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so you know if you don't mind i'd love if you kind of gave some of your background i mean i gave the, how we met but you know the, the, really, the 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 name brand everyone knows you for is you know prior to the COO Alliance and the work you've done post one eight hundred junk is really one eight hundred junk. That's obviously a, a worldwide brand that people know. But do you mind giving some of your your formal background for for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you you and your work? Sure,
1: and that was actually the fourth company that I helped build as well. So it was the one that I maybe got known for, but the three of the other four um, are pretty well known as well. So I was groomed as an entrepreneur. My dad groomed my brother, my sister, and myself to all be entrepreneurs. Um, In fact, my sister, just her first book came out today called It's Paid to Play, or It Pays to Play. Um, So she has run her own company for 25 years. My brother has. When I was 21 years old, I had 12 full-time employees. So all I've ever really known was being an entrepreneur or being in these entrepreneurial ventures. Um, I got involved with a company called College Pro Painters, where I was a franchisee for a few years. Then I was at the head office where I was recruiting, training, and and coaching franchisees. I coached 120 entrepreneurs who were franchisees by 1993, including Kimball Musk was one of my franchisees, and his cousin, Peter Reeve, who built Solar City. I also recruited and trained him. So I'd been around coaching entrepreneurs 30 years ago, left College Pro Painters, and I joined as a partner in a small collision repair chain in Canada called Boyd Auto Body, it's now called Gerber Auto Collision in the United States and Boyd Auto Body in Canada. It's the largest collision repair company in the world. About a $900 million market cap, publicly traded, very profitable. Uh, left there and I was hired as president of a private currency company. Kind of like what Bitcoin is doing today, but we did it 22 years ago. We had Starwood Hotels and Havis Rent-A-Car, Hard Rock Cafe, all accepting our digital currency instead of the U.S. dollar. Sold that company in... Um, it's Gen- or sorry, April of 2000, right? As the stock market was crashing, we lost the entire 64 million. We were worth $3 million at the close because the NASDAQ crashed by 78%. Oh so gosh. I did what you would do it. When you lose a whole dot com, you become a garbage man. And I joined Brian, who is my best friend. We were in a forum group. We, we kind of got involved in the entrepreneurs organization and we were in a forum together. And Brian had seen me grow a couple of other companies and he asked me to coach him. And I said, I'd coach you, but I'll never work for you. And I said, working for you would be like kissing my sister. And we <laughs> joked that, yeah, a few months later, it's like we were in a full-on makeout session because I joined Brian <laughs> as his COO and we got to build the company together. I joined as employee number 14. And when I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide and we were operating in 330 cities and we'd gone from 2 million to 106 million. And I was the COO for that period, uh, left there pretty much 15 years ago. And I started coaching typically companies with 50 to 500 employees, but I've coached the CEO of Sprint. I coached a monarchy in the Middle East. I've coached a lot of technology companies that were in the hundred million range. Um, So typically I coach real businesses with real teams. And then six years ago, I started an organization called the COO Alliance. Uh, I now have my sixth book coming out in January. I've written five other books that all do quite well, like Vivid Vision and Double Double. Um, and then I have a podcast called the Second Command Podcast. So that's a, it's a bit of a bio.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that's a mouthful. Um, you, you're a busy guy, that's for sure. And you, I mean, you left out a bunch of cool stuff. So, so one of the ways we, Cameron and I, reconnected was through t- the TED organization, actually. Mm-hmm. And then you, 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 one of my favorite things about you is you did an amazing TED talk on how to teach your kids to be entrepreneurs. Do you mind t- mentioning a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, and that was actually, a, that was one of the very, that was a TEDx. Um, I still go to the main five-day TED conference every year, my wife and I'll be there again in April. Um, I I was asked to do one of the very first TEDx talks, and it went viral, as did Simon Sinek. Simon was on our board of advisors four years be- before his TEDx even went viral. We both were asked to do this. We had no idea what it was going to be. His went a little more viral than mine. Mine's only had a few million views. His is like the number three TEDx or TED talk of all time, but mine was about teaching the lessons that kids need to be entrepreneurial, not necessarily to be an entrepreneur, because I don't think everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. I think only yeah. 3% of the population have the DNA and can learn the skills. But I want kids to understand the entrepreneurial skill sets. Now, being an entrepreneur is much cooler than it was when I did that back in 2009. Right now, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, parents want their kids to be entrepreneurs. But back when I was doing it, when I was 21, I was kind of vilified, you know, I was the, the greedy capitalist kid in second year university running a business and it was not cool. Like I was, I was the uncool kid in my floor of 67 guys on, on my residence because that was the weird thing to do would be to run a business. Everybody else kind of had normal jobs, right? So,
0: yeah, that's, that's so funny. Um, I was, I was the same guy. (laughs) Like like I, I joked when I was at Burlington and Giants like uh, the year before we met. I said, you know, I was at that I was twenty-six, I think then. And I said, you know, I'm the only person I know who's an entrepreneur. And I lived right. in San Fran- I lived in San Francisco, Cameron. Wow. Y- you know, like right? So but think about that. Being a mid-20s, living in San Francisco. At this point, I lived there for five years. And that I was the only person. Right. I'm the yeah, so that just goes to show you how big of a transition, even from you know, 15, 16 years ago, how different it is now. Now you're a rock star. Now, yeah, I mean, Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live, you know, which which you would never imagine.
1: Now parents are like, why would you want to go into investment banking, be an entrepreneur? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like it was, it was so different. So that scarred me too, by the way. It probably left me with a bit of a chip on my shoulder. It probably has always had me pushing for the underdog, right? I've always seen the entrepreneur, like the fly banging its head on the window and I want to help it go out the door because there's a, you know, give them the cheat sheets. Um, cause I was the dumb, I don't know about you, but I was the dumb kid in school too. Like I did not do well in university. I did not do well in high school. I was kind of mid 60% averages. I was like a 2.3 GPA.
0: So, so obviously you found your footing though. And I think a lot of, you know, I think entrepreneurism is a great place for misfits because especially if you think back to 20, 30 years ago, where, I mean, I use myself as an example. When I graduated college, I had a degree in accounting. I went and applied at Deloitte and Touche, Cooper anderson or arthur anderson which used to exist then um and i didn't get an interview at kpmg uh i made it to none of the second round interviews except um arthur anderson or sorry excuse me uh price waterhouse coopers which is you know still around one of the largest you know firms in the world and at lunch i made a joke about one of the partners because some girl pointed out that i had my ears pierced Cause I had my, I had my ears pierced back then, but I took the earrings out and, she, and I said, oh yeah, you know, and I knew she was trying to assault me and I'm just kind of a, you have a weird sense of humor, which is, doesn't always work well, especially in a buttoned up corporate environment. And I said, oh yeah, how pierced my ear during my interview. And it was like, I was praying to Satan in the church, like the whole table. I was 22 years old, dude, the whole table, like it was a record scratch. Everyone was like, what the fuck did he just, did he just make a joke about a partner? Uh, needless to say, I did not get a third interview.
1: <laughs> oh, that's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, 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 you know, I'm not employable is what I always tell people because I, right. I want to do things my own way, but I think that's the magic of entrepreneurism. Um, you know, I'd love to kind of, you know, ask you a question because this is something I've always wondered, you know, obviously you grew, uh, you did all those different businesses and I, and, and I, and I knew about a lot of your back history and story prior to, uh, you know, one got junk and you're in a forum with Brian you're both entrepreneurs was there a tension because and i mean you guys did some amazing stuff together but do you think that there, there was a natural tension in the fact that he's the visionary you come in you're the ceo i mean i would consider you to have a lot of visionary type of of you know attributes like what did that create a tension between the two of you
1: so it's interesting the so back in the day it was yeo it was the young entrepreneurs organization and qualification for for membership was you had to be president founder or co-founder of a company doing at least a million dollars in revenue, which was a big number 25 years ago. Um, So I was always a co-founder. I was never the entrepreneur. I was always kind of the second in command of of the Boyd Auto Body group or the franchising group. I was really the COO there. When the private currency company, I was the president of the Vancouver operation and then was really kind of the second in command of that operation reporting to the founders. So those were the two organizations that I built that, that qualified me for EO. So I was kind of an entrepreneur and a hybrid almost of a COO. Um, When I joined Brian, I've codified this term called a vivid vision. And it's that four or five page description of your company three years in the future. Brian and I learned the concept the same day back in 1998 at at a lunch that all of the entrepreneurs organization in Vancouver were invited to. Brian called it his painted picture. And Mm. I then started calling it years later, a vivid vision. So the same kind of a concept, we learned it from the same Olympic coach. When Brian shared with me his document, it was a two-pager at the time that described 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And it described the company in 2003, because it was the fall, it was October of 2000. So he leaned out three years, showed me what the company would look like. I got it. I was like, I get it. I can see it. I know how to build it because I built two other franchise companies already. He didn't know how to build it. And he knew that. So he trusted me. And He basically said, I'll take care of vision. I'll take care of finance and I.T., you figure out how to make this come true. And that's basically the path we were on. So I just kind of, and the other thing that we had to our advantage, we kind of had a bit of an unfair advantage. And I talk about this in the book, The Second Command. Brian was my best man at my wedding three months before I joined him as his C- COO. So he, we already had a high degree of trust. He already knew me and we'd been in an EO forum together for four years. So he, knew, it was like he had a four-year interview, right? That's right. a bit of an unfair advantage. So coming in, I knew what my roles were. The trust was really, really high. We had our swim lanes already set and we were just able to go and execute. It only got tough six years later.
0: How big was the business the day you got there? Two million. Wow. Okay. So this is, I mean, again, two million.
1: Yeah. He had 12 franchises, two that had just started. Uh, When I left, we had 330 franchises. So I, I taught Brian how to do franchise marketing, franchise sales um all the franchise operations franchise coaching how to build out a PR team I built out the entire marketing team from zero built the marketing plans calendars budgets really taught him how to operationalize the idea he was very good at the tech stack of understanding well, not even a tech stack really building out the software that powered our franchises called Junknet um and he was really good at the or at the finance side and I hated the finance side so he really just let me build the business and I let him control you know that area. And then he was that cultural vision that everybody loved. And I just wanted to shine a spotlight on him. And then I was also good as that public speaker and could tell the story and had the credibility of having built other companies. So I became a bit of a front person for the business because it built trust that people could buy a franchise and would be successful because I'd done it before.
0: Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. And so, you know, fast forward, uh, this was in in 2000 you joined, is that correct?
1: Yeah, October 2000.
0: So fast forward to, again, May of 6th, you know... Oh, excuse me. May of seven. Pardon me. May of seven, and you decided to exit the business was like. Well, do you mind talking about that?
1: Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you the rest of the story. So I didn't decide to exit. And I'm sure you know the story behind this. I'm sure we've talked. No, Brian. I, so,
0: I, I do. <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so Wednesday night, I turned to Brian's assistant. And I said, "I think Brian's going to fire me tomorrow." And she goes, "Shut up. Go home. Hang out with your kids." My kids were six and four at the time. And I said, "No, I'm pretty sure he's going to fire me." And she's like, "Just go home. Chill out. You're fine." And I, um, Brian and I had a breakfast the next morning at 7. And then we had our leadership team meeting at 7.30. So I met with him at 7 o'clock at the Vancouver Club, downtown Vancouver. And we were sitting across from each other. And I ordered Eggs Benedict, as you do, when I was 40 pounds heavier than I am today. <laughs> and Brian ordered a coffee. I'm like, what the fuck? You're ordering coffee? Like, you're totally firing me. You can't even eat. You're so nervous right now. And he said, I think it's over. I think, I think we're done. I, think, I, I, I know you're the right guy to get us to here, but you're not the right guy to get us to a billion. And we, what was
0: started, it, we what was, what, Yeah, why we were, was it?
1: Oh, cause I was not detail oriented. I was more entrepreneurial. I was more vision to execution quickly. When, mm. you know, when we have 3000 employees, 13 operating companies operating in four countries, cause we were in the UK, Australia, Canada, us, you know, 248 people at the head office, 3000 system wide, multiple languages. It's fucking complicated. And yep. for me, I was starting to pull my hair out. Um, I I knew it was hard. I didn't know how to do the cross-functional decision-making and matrix decision-making. I was pushing hard at at the team and telling them that we were sold out. And I didn't understand how to deal with politics of the new people coming in. So I had just become this very kind of brash, aggressive, still too entrepreneurial for a $100 million company. So Brian asked me to leave, the right thing to do. Two days later, he also asked me to go and speak on behalf of him at the Entrepreneurs Organization 20th anniversary. So I spoke in front of 1,500 people instead of him because he had to try to then figure out how to replace me. Uh, and we're still very good. You know, It took us a couple of years to work through it, but we're still good friends to this day. I was texting him yesterday.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's, that's amazing, man. I mean, and, and it's, it's cool that, that, and I know you, and I'm friends with Brian's and he's been on the show, but, but he's, he and I are in GOT together. So I talked to him, you know, when I see him there and, and in between here and there. And so it's well, cool he also, to see.
1: He, he also wrote the four, I asked him to write the forward for the book second in command. So he wrote, Oh, the no way for the book, the second in Command, and there's a funny story. 35 years ago this week, um, I was initiated into a fraternity called the Acacia fraternity in Ottawa. I was the first president. We started the very first fraternity in the city of Ottawa. And one of the co-founders of the fraternity, his name is Eric Church, is the new COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK and has been COO for 10 years. I was president of the fraternity the first year. Eric was president the second year. I was then COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Then they hired the former president of Starbucks to replace me. She lasted a year. And then about a year after that, Brian was able to recruit Eric. So two guys who have known each other for 35 years are co you know have have basically built the company for i don't know
0: 17 of the years that's amazing and, and that Incredible. and hit and, and you know it's and what's what's amazing is you know as you mentioned before you brought it to 106 million and you know most people don't realize this because most people haven't built 106 million dollar companies you and i have um it's really fucking hard to take something from two to 106 it's like yeah. pretty much imp- almost impossible The 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 data says i think you have three tenths of a percent chance of doing it. It's, it's like almost like an impossibility. So to actually do that is way harder than to take it to the next level, you know, because the odds of making it there are really hard. So well, it's different. To-
1: so Eric would have been, a, and Eric also wrote some stuff for my book as well. He's a very different COO than me. He is not in the spotlight. He doesn't do speaking. He's very inward in the company. Sure, he would be a, he would have been a horrible COO for the first year because for six years because he had no idea how to franchise anything. I would have been a horrible COO for the next ten. So we yeah. were the right people at the right time. Um, and, and there is a real interesting thing about that that I talk about in the book, the second in command, is that it's about finding the right person with the right DNA and the right level of trust at the right stage of growth for your company. Right. You know, I I had to take the company through six consecutive years of one hundred percent revenue growth. So we doubled the size of the company six times in a row. That's hard. That's a different. Now, when I left, I was like, fuck, this is big. They bring the former president of Starbucks, United States, in to replace me. And she looks around and goes, what a cute little company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you 300 locations. We have like 30,000. Right. Very different
1: skill set, right? But she was the wrong cultural fit for the organization. So she had the skills, but not necessarily the cultural DNA. Eric has both.
0: That's, that's amazing. So, um, yeah, you know, to your point, like you were the right CEO at the right time until it got to the point where it just wasn't a fit. And, But I, I do want to give you hats off because having built a company from essentially startup to nine figures, I've done it. It's hard. And it's really hard to maintain those relationships afterwards. So it's really cool to see that you and Brian have done that. And now what? one got junk I think I saw it the other day, is like 600 million in revenue. So Yeah, well, if you combine
1: One-800-GOT-JUNK least... and his two other companies, Jack Shine and Wow well, One Day Painting, they're about 600 million.
0: Yeah. It's, it's That's no joke. And so, you know, when we met, you were just exiting that business and thank you for sharing the story. I, 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 I you know, I knew, knew the story, but not the yeah. listeners know. it, So I always, well, I, I, I pretended. Um, but, um, you know, then you got, you know, you went into this new world and, and I, and I want to like, kind of take, because you've done something that's so unique. You know, it's funny. I saw that you spoke at Mind Valley the other day and I heard, uh, is it Vishen? Is that his, is I'm pronouncing yeah, his name Vishen. properly? you know i heard him talking about you know like you before he brought you on stage like i gotta have a cameron i gotta have a cameron and you become this like icon as the second in command like this is like your brand right and um so i'd love if you could oh go ahead no go ahead now what i was going to say was like You know, you took this thing that you realized what you were, you leaned into your strengths and then you created a brand around it where you brought it to market, where you coached people, you wrote all these books, you've created the COO Alliance and you've really created this thing where it's like the, it's a rock star to be a badass COO integrator, the second in command, everyone I know. And now you don't know this because it's been a while since we spoke, but I, you know, exited my company that I grew to north of 200 million. And I was like, man, I'm I'm burnt and I got into coaching. So I started coaching entrepreneurs and COOs or Mm -hmm. CEOs. And everyone I talked to is like, man, I just got to have a a great integrator, you know, operator, you know, I'm like, you're basically, you need a badass COO, right? So so this has become this thing in business that I think that you've added, if not create, you know, I know obviously you didn't create it, but you've created a lot of allure around it where people are like, this is this magic thing that entrepreneurs want. I'd love if you could kind of walk through that, that journey a little bit to, to get to where we're at right now.
1: Yeah, so that's, that's part of even why I wrote the book, The Second in Command, is it's how to unleash the power of your COO. So when I was Brian's COO, and I, again, I started, uh, so this would have been 22 years ago, the role of the COO was not a very well-understood title yet. It was only in major companies that people had a true second-in-command. More often than not, the entrepreneurs were trying to lead their entire leadership team. So I was fairly early on. I think Sheryl Sandberg is probably the most famous COO of all time, right? Being Mark Zuckerberg's second-in-command, with no desire, by the way, for her to ever be an entrepreneur. She doesn't want to be CEO. The funny thing is, around 2009, I was speaking at a Vern Harnish event. Vern started the Entrepreneurs Organization and started Gazelles and now scaling up. And I was at this conference and this guy walks up to me, his name is Kevin Lawrence, and I'd just come off stage and Kevin walks up, he goes, oh my God, you're Cameron. And I'm like, yeah, hi. And he goes, no, all these guys have been walking around this conference all weekend saying, I need a Cameron. And I thought it was like, (laughs) I thought it was a thing. I thought it was like a flywheel or a BHAG or a a core value. I didn't know that you were, it was a person. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I realized that they were all saying, I need what Brian had. I need the Cameron. And then I think what really took it to the next level is when Gino Wickman, and we're in a couple masterminds together, when Gino wrote the book Traction and developed the entrepreneurial operating system, and he talked about the visionary integrator, he gave it a term. He gave it a name that wasn't necessarily title dependent, because the second in command could be a COO, it could be a VP Ops, it could be a president, it could be a director ops, a GM. So that's even why I called the book The Second in Command. Is sometimes the second in command. It's whoever would be running the company if the COO was in hospital for six months. That's kind of your second in command, right? It's the real yin and yang partnership.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's you know. And I, whenever I talk to people about it, I said, "Hey, wh- who's opening the store? Who's counting the till? Who's making sure the open signs there? Who's making sure the trains are running on time?" I had what well, one of the magical things about my last business why it grew. I mean, this business grew from. A, you know, mortgage banking is a little bit different than most businesses. So we, the revenue is not how people look at it. Although I think our revenue was maybe 10 million the day I got there. Cause like I, I it was a joint venture that turned into an ownership deal, um, which sounds big to most people, but in mortgage banking, that's not very big. Um, 30 people, maybe eight, 10 million in revenue. It, it grew to 200 million in three years. Right. And the reason was because we had an amazing integrator as Gino or second in command. And it wasn't even second in command, it was my business partner. He's just such a fucking badass operator. Mm. And I'm like this insane visionary, right? And when you marry those two things together, to your point, you're at the Vern Harnish event. Everyone's gotta have a Cameron. So you know, I had found my Cameron in that it was my, my business partner, and we were we it was a yin and yang, man. It was it's like I and I let the business, we still talk almost every day because yeah. he's became my best friend. We our strengths complemented each other. I could go out there and make it rain. He could stay in there and make sure that it was operationally efficient and that we were doing our thing. We were aligned culturally. We we leveraged each other to create synergy in the business. And it was magical. And everyone would say it. They're like, this is crazy how you guys work together. I'm like, I trust him. He trusts me. I don't want to do his job. He does not want to do my job. And and so what do you like, what are your thoughts on that when you think of like creating that partnership, you know, like finding that that's either second in command or a partner who is that, you know, behind the scenes person? Because I yeah. don't think it necessarily has to be someone that reports to you. It could be a partner. In my case, it was a business partner. It was just we were yin and yang. Like, what do you think about that?
1: I think, so there's, there's first, the second part, I guess, is the org chart and clarity of roles and responsibilities and communication structure of who reports to who or who makes decisions. They can be beside each other on the org chart as CEO, COO, or there can be reporting direct. What matters in that section is who makes the decisions on what things so that people know who to go to, so they're not going to mom and dad on each issue. Well, mom right. said I could have cookies when it was dad's decision, right? The first part of the question though was like, how do you know what each person is supposed to do? And when I wrote the book, The Second in Command, I broke it down into how to recruit and hire a second in command, and then how to onboard the second in command, and then how to build a really strong relationship with your second in command. So in the first third of the book, part of the recruiting one is what am I looking for, right? Don't put a title on it right away. Sit down and first say, what are the basket or the buckets of things the person's gonna be responsible for? What are the areas of the business that are going to report to them? And the way you want to decide that is what stuff drains you of energy? Mm, If you're the entrepreneur, because I'll tell you, we have all these members of our COO alliance, right? We've got members from 17 countries. I have some members of the COO alliance that run finance. Some don't. Some run IT. Some don't. Some run marketing. Some don't. It's all dependent on what's the stuff that the CEO is really great at and loves doing And delegate everything except genius so that you end up with a person who is really great at all the other stuff and probably sucks at or doesn't want to do the stuff the CEO is doing. Mm. Like, I didn't want to go near IT and finance. I'm like, all good, bud. You want to run that? (laughs) In fact, one of the business areas I ended up running for a couple of years in my last two years there was the call center. And it was because it got to a point where there was too many people and too many operational parts, and there was too much around leadership and growing that Brian needed that to report to me because it was out of his sandbox. But in the early days, when it was about phone systems and setting up voicemail and connecting it with Junknet, that was all him. That would have killed me, right? So we were very good at deciding on what he loved, what he was great at, what I loved and what I was great at, and then grow from there.
0: So um yeah, I love that man and, and I think that like, your guys' partnership and the way you just described that's perfect. And you know, i I do believe that we need to work in our strengths either as the entrepreneur or even as the second in command. It doesn't matter. And you could be the entrepreneur in the second in command. Um the idea though is that working your strengths gives you energy. It's where you're in your talents, it's where you feel like you're in flow and you're alive. And I love that that you're making that point. One thing I, I wanted to to pivot to and we were we're talking about the book. So you've written this is your sixth book, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's and it's, I didn't, it's so crazy.
1: When I so when Sorry. I met you, when I met you, it's really your fault. It's your class, your BOG class, which is now called the Entrepreneurial Masters Program. Your class wanted more information from me and they wanted me to write the first book. It was called Double Double. But when yeah. I met you, I didn't have a book when I met you. I just had all these uh-huh. ideas still going in my head. And I'd talk about it. and People were scribbling it all down. They're like, fuck, give me it. So I had no desire to be an author. I wrote it because people wanted more of how I was doing it. And I had a speakers bureau that said they could raise my speaking fee. And I'm like, well, if you can get me more than five grand, you know, now I'm getting 40. Um, so if you can get me more than five grand, I'll write a book. And they said, yeah, we can get you 10. And sure enough, you know, that got my credibility up.
0: Yeah, I I, I will. um wholeheartedly, uh, admit I am one of the first buyers of the book double double. So <laughs> I bought that many <laughs> years ago, uh, right when it came out, I was happy to support you and, uh, and your work, your work's awesome, dude. It's, it's really cool. Just to, it's really, I mean, you know, it's rare that you, you get to watch someone's journey from afar, you know, and to see what they've done. So, so for me, I'm, I've always been a fan of yours and just to watch you do your work. is It's just really impressive, man. You're, you're multidimensional, you know you're involved with a lot of interesting people, and you're doing some really cool work. So I, I just want to give you kudos where kudos is due, man. It's really cool to see it.
1: Thank you. Um, I, I think we could both be the two founding members of the Mutual Admiration Society because I, <laughs> I think I think the same of you, and it's been amazing watching you and your career and your growth too. So
0: thanks, man. I appreciate it. So you decided, uh, you know, you built the COO Alliance. You've been coaching some fucking badass entrepreneurs. Um, and just, and really built this cool business around the second in command. So you decided to write the book again, like to your point, like people are asking, you've seen this, you know, was it that you're like, Hey, I want to communicate the things I've learned. Why, what was the, what was like the motivation on, on this particular book?
1: Uh, the, the second command one was twofold. One, I was getting a lot of people coming to me on almost a weekly basis saying, can you help me hire a COO or can you help me figure out what I need in a second in command? So that was one. And then the second more obvious one is I have a podcast called the second command podcast. And I have an organization that's my core business called the COO Alliance. It's an opportunity for me to share more information about that and, and even tap into the members. So I have probably about 40 of my members of the CEO Alliance contributed content to the book and about wow. 25 of the guests from the second command podcast contributed content to the book. So I have a really rich kind of base of real world expertise. And, and, you know, I've got Harley from Shopify and I've got Matt from Rippling and I've got, you know, I'm the founder the CEO of, of um, Bumble. I think some really cool, solid brand COOs contributing into their, their content and their ideas. So it, it needed to be done, and there really wasn't a book that covered the whole idea of how to recruit, hire, train, and build the relationship with. You know, you had Rocket Fuel, but that's more kind of integrator, small company, fifty employees max, kind of second in command, right? And then Riding shotgun, but it never really got into that. Was more even more corporate. There was really nothing else in the space.
0: Yeah, that's a, the, it, it's it's such an important role. I mean, we 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 were talking about it earlier. So what? First thing, people. It's like this. I think a lot of people have glamorized this position or this role as this like end all be all that will save them. And 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 what I tell them is like you got to find a right person for it, but it's hard. So I'd love for you to kind of go into like where do where do you see people fail in this area? What's like the biggest failure point for an entrepreneur CEO looking for that second in command?
1: Well, yeah, and you, you just touched on it that it can actually destroy your company if you do it in the wrong way or at the wrong time, right? If you bring in the wrong second, it almost destroyed 1 800 got junk, frankly. When Brian replaced me with Lonnie, who was the, the president of Starbucks, she came in about 12 months later. The economy was crashing and she didn't do some good stuff for the business. It kind of hurt things. So, you know, I left at 106 million. Two years later, it was at 70. Wow. Uh, that wasn't a real good trajectory. So, um, you know, you can bring the wrong person in and it can really hurt things. It can hurt the culture, it can hurt systems, it can slow down growth, it can, you know, you lose key customers or key employees. Um, the other one is that that it can kind of pull at the entrepreneur in the wrong way. You're meant to, you're meant to either be their um they're 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 kind of the person that they can allow to run the business to free them up with time or their partner. There's a really good article called "The Misunderstood Role of the COO," which talks about the seven different styles of chief operating officer. It's important to understand those so you don't bring in the wrong one. The other thing is on timing. Another example on timing, Jack. You know, I think you've probably heard Jack Daly say this, but if you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. I've seen seen too many entrepreneurs go out and hire a COO when they should have hired an executive assistant first, and that would have saved them an entire twelve months to get an an EA doing a bunch of stuff and get all the minimum wage jobs off your plate and then later hire a COO. But why are you gonna hire a higher paid COO and give them $20 an hour tasks?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I I call that uh, like, and I say that too. I go, look, take your time on the COO for everything you just said. Or second in command, you, you need to really be thoughtful about that because to your point, if they're going to be the person that's in there running the business, they have to be a cultural fit. They have to be a value add. They got to be able to take the business to the next level. And they got to do a lot of this stuff and be good at this stuff to your point that the entrepreneur doesn't want to, you know, the CEO doesn't want to handle. Um, but a lot of p- companies, especially smaller businesses, I don't think they're ready for what I just said, to your point. Um, and when I, when I work with folks, I say, look, go get a, I call a utility player. I say, go get a utility player. Utility players, someone that can handle your bullshit and they're good at it. They like it and they're great at project management and they're super organized. Yeah. And for me, that's been a game changer for me. Like always have a utility player that works for me as the CEO. And when I get to the point where I need that executive, I bring them on. What, what, and that's really kind of what like, you just said.
1: Well, and if we remove the title COO, because I think so many people go out and say, I need a COO. No, you need a second in command maybe it's a COO, maybe it's a VP operations, maybe it's a director of operations, maybe it's project manager, but you need a second in command to help you kind of the jack of all trades, master of none, but can help you get shit done. Right. Don't, don't put big titles on people. Like your head of finance could be a controller or director of finance, VP of finance or a CFO, but we need to stop giving out the big titles unless you're willing to match compensation and roles and responsibilities.
0: Yeah. I think people, uh, especially, uh, smaller businesses, at least the lesson I learned was be careful of the titles you give because what you give, you can never take away. The minute you take away from anybody, they're out. They're demoralized. They're embarrassed. And they're like, fuck Darius. I'm not working for them anymore.
1: And, and they go on Indeed and Glassdoor and find out that COOs are making 400 grand. And they're like, you're paying me 120. Well, you're not really a COO. Then why did you call me a COO? Like, <laughs> call me, a, call me a director of operations and pay me 120. But as an example, I was at 1-800-GOT-JUNK when I left the company 15 years ago, almost sixteen, I was getting paid three hundred and ten grand. Like, I was a right. real COO of a real business, make, you know, with real roles and responsibilities. Be very careful that you don't hire the second in command and give them a title that's too big, that doesn't match their roles and responsibilities and the comp you're willing to pay. And I covered oh, so- that in really good detail, too.
0: And so, so, so for this like when you think of the ideal reader of the book and who's going to gain the most value like what's is it any business or is it going to be someone that's north of you know x number like what like who's the avatar that this book is really truly meant for
1: i'd say it's really anybody from like the 25 to maybe 2000 employees if you're past the 1000 maybe even not maybe even the if you're past the 1000 employees you've probably got a solid proven leadership team and you've probably got a second in command so it's really meant for the small to mid-size organizations, not, not into the enterprise suite at all. It yeah, also, so try- by the way, anyone who wants to get into that role should read it to understand how to find the right company that matches their skills and their cultural fit and their core values, right? It's a it's a real that yin and yang is why I even put the logo on the cover of the book. Is it's a, it is that yin and yang match you're looking for.
0: Oh man, I'm I'm so excited for the book to come out. So um I, I'm like as I mentioned, we have about an hour for the show. So I'm I'm so excited for where we're pivoting to because you're doing some really cool stuff right now that I want to learn more about. Um, but for any folks that want to, you know, pick up the book, like is it, when's it come out? What are, what are some really, uh, where, where do they buy it? Where all books are sold? What, where, what are some? Yeah. So ideas mid
1: January, 2023, um, probably the, you know, everybody just goes to Amazon, Audible, iTunes, it'll be available. I just recorded the audio version of it when I was over in Dubai. So there'll be an audio version, kindle version and and the the normal book.
0: Okay, cool. So, listeners, go get the book, but we're going to pivot right now to and we'll touch on the book a little bit at the end for anyone that missed this. Um but yeah, you can get a word we all books are sold as Cameron said and um and we'll we'll in show notes we'll put a bunch of stuff, but I want to pivot to this massive life change that you've embarked on because you're you're a digital nomad, man. Like, first of all, congratulations on getting married. I, I saw you. Brad, a mutual friend of our, Brad Weimert. We went to your wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Brad, and I saw, I saw pictures that looked amazing. You guys were was at Mykonos. Yeah, we got married in Mykonos. Oh man, I love Mykonos. I went there a couple years ago. So. um so, man, tell tell me like the huge life change. You're now a digital nomad. You're like all over the world. I saw that you were just at Mine Valley. I see you in Dubai. I'm like, I'm like, and you know what's funny is last time you're on the show. And anyone that wants to listen to the past show, check it out. It's a great show. It's a little bit different than this one, um, but you, you know, you were talking about that was like right when you were getting ready to do it, right? So now you've you've been doing it for a minute. Like, uh, tell us all about this. Well,
1: yeah, so I, I had, you know, the big home in Arizona with the, the the estate, right, with two guest houses and a gate to come in and a gate to leave and, a, and palm trees and grapefruit trees and a view of Camelback Mountain. And I had a, you know, the, the, the amazing fully loaded Tesla P90D, you know, and then I had a home in Vancouver and I had a car up in Vancouver and I had all the golf club membership and the tennis, I had a golf club in, in Arizona, a golf club in Vancouver, a tennis club, I had fucking everything. And I really wasn't that happy. And my wife had, you know, her home and closets filled with Jimmy Chews and Louboutins, and she wasn't that happy. And we're like, we just want to get rid of our shit. This is what I own now. I'm showing you a picture. You want to describe what you see?
0: Uh, wait, wait, hold on, sorry. Let me see this. Oh, it, it, oh, backpacks. <laughs> yeah,
1: I own one backpack <laughs> and one day pack. My day pack is right beside. This is half of what I own right here. The other half oh. is. Sitting. I'm down to. I'm down to nothing, man. I own. I own like. Three pair of pants, three pair of shoes, some Lululemon t-shirts, a gray sweatshirt, a jean jacket, a puffy jacket. That's it. Yeah. And and we're just traveling. So yeah, we've been to, I don't know, I I just got paid to speak in Antarctica. So I've now been paid to speak on every single continent. Yeah. Um, That was Yannick Silver who brought me down there. So yeah, we've been traveling all over the place. We were in Bhutan hiking with the monks. We were in Dubai. And it was a very cathartic experience to purge everything and realize what you really needed was... Friends and family and experiences, not stuff.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. I, are you friends with Don DePani? You know him?
1: I, yeah, I do know Don DePani. We met. Um, yeah, we met about eleven years ago at an EO event called uh, Alchemy, I think it was in Seattle.
0: Yeah, I met him ten years ago. He spoke at TEDx Reno, which is uh, one of my formats, Was the curator for that, and uh, I brought him into my company to do uh, a speak. And so I became friends with him. I actually hung out with him at his uh, place down in Costa Rica two summers ago. And, um, but he has a, he has a, you know, one of the things I learned from him, I think this comes from the Hindu tradition, which is uh, where your uh, energy goes, where your attention flows right? or something like that. It's like, yeah. and essentially your possessions suck up your energy, you know? And I, and he said, and he said, I'll prove it to you. Go into your closet and everything you don't wear, put it in a garbage bag and throw it away. And so it was funny. I got done with this, like, I was like a one day training with my team. This is like, oh, six years ago, seven years ago. And I get home. My closet is just a, a complete fucking clusterfuck. It was like, right. it was shit everywhere. And it was, and it was a bunch of stuff I, I'd had for years and years. And I ba- I had four like huge hefty bags filled with stuff that I gave away. Yeah. And I remember I walked into the closet right after that. And I was like, oh my God, man, I just feel so light right now. And I actually yeah. felt like physically felt different so so yeah keep going no 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 i was gonna ask you like like having you did you you did what i just said times like a thousand (laughs) were like houses cars everything like what is it like what did that what was the process of that i mean describe the catharticism of that because you said it was cathartic i want to hear like like how did that feel were you like i don't want to give that away that's a thing i've had forever like how'd that feel
1: the starting point was selling the major home and estate and two guest houses in Arizona and downsizing to a little three-bedroom that I could lock the door and leave. So that was one cathartic moment. Another one was selling the P90D and getting a Model 3 it was like a cathartic moment. And then, then I was like, I don't even need all these other things. So then it was like getting rid of cars and, and using fractional cars like Uber and these little car shares that you can have a membership app with. And that was cathartic. And then I I started to, anytime I bought something, I threw away two things or donated two things. So if I got one book, I had to get rid of two. If I And it it could be two of any items. If I bought one book, I could throw out two things from my kitchen. And it was crazy how I'd get like seven, you know, I'd get seven bottles of vitamins show up. I'm like, shit, I got to throw out 14 things. That, (laughs) that, That game was a year. I did that for a year, but it was amazing how like my drawers were getting less. My closets were getting less. Like, I'd be like, I got to throw out 12 things. I'll throw out 12 pairs of socks. Like, you know, like I could, and, and that momentum created momentum for me. Uh, And then my wife did it just um, just before COVID sold her home, got rid of like 14, 14 watches and shoes, and she was going to get ready to start traveling and COVID hit her. And when I saw her take all of her photo albums and get them digitized, I was like, ah, I can get rid of like 18 photo albums that are sitting in the garage that I never really go through. And at least I'll have the photos I want and I can throw those out. So the process kind of started and then we just finally said, let's get rid of everything and go. Um, And that was hard. It was really hard. There were there were some emotional ties to um, there were some emotional ties to some stuff that felt that felt familiar to me. You know, like these, the the wine glasses I liked or my cookbooks or things that, you know, Christmas decorations that I would have with my kids. So there's some stuff that I kept for my kids um, mm-hmm. that I've put away for them to have later in life, but I don't have any of my stuff.
0: And and so like, you know, as far as having gone through that process and now you're, I don't know if the word is free, but I did, did this. By the way, the thing that you just said a moment ago, I don't want to, I don't want to miss this because you made me just think, I'm like this thing of, for every one thing I get a gift to away, but I mean, was there a process to this or was this just like, did someone coach you or did you read a book or something? I'm
1: in a lot of, I'm in a lot of mastermind groups. I've, I've been in, you know, strategic coach and genius network and baby Bathwater and war room. So every time I go to these mastermind events, I just listen to these people. And I met this woman, Carrie, who is a had just moved from from Mont Tremblant to Florida and she told her whole family, they could take one suitcase and they got rid of everything. I was like, whoa. And she goes, well, just start small. She goes, just anytime you buy something, get rid of two. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So that was
0: it. Yeah. I mean, you got me so motivated to empty out my house right now. (laughs) I mean like,
1: like just try that for three months every time. And if, by the way, if you bring like eight groceries in, you got to get rid of 16 things. So you got to get rid of old food, expired food, like shit in your fridge.
0: Wow. I'm, I'm I'm so challenged by this idea, but I will tell you this. I am a person that is like, when you describe what you, what you and your wife are doing right now, that is my fantasy of where I'm going when my kids are done with school. Like when my kids are off. Like, like there is no empty empty nest. My, 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 my kids are nine and 12. Mm. And, and, and I'm like, when they're out, I I don't want I want to I want to I I've I have i I'm I'm in a group called Tiger 21. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know if you know that group. Yeah, so I'm a tiger member. Well, that's great. Yeah, so I'm a tiger member and I'm doing my they have a thing every uh once every 18 months it's called a portfolio defense where you go up and you like tell your life story and you kind of give them your you know financial situation and so I'm I'm doing mine literally in 2 days. And, and you have to present the um,
1: financials. You don't get to tell your story. You have to like, here are my financial statements. Here's my investment account statements. Like, you put it all out in front of people. It's awesome.
0: Full full balance sheet, full yeah. income statement of your of you as a human being, your whole life story, what things you're trying to solve for. And it was funny I wrote in there because my wife is kind is a I mean she's funny because she does keep stuff but she's not like a stuff person. She doesn't like to buy a bunch of stuff. She keeps, she has clothes that her grandmother gave her from 40 years ago. Right. Right. So she's like, likes that type of stuff, but she's not a person that like buys a ton of stuff. And I, I wrote in my PD, I wrote my wife. If I told my wife, Hey, we're moving into a 700 square foot apartment. You get one bag. She'd probably be happy. I said that to her so i know i i married someone that's kind of cool with that with that mentality and i'm a person that doesn't need much i i like traveling with one suitcase so i've i've realized i don't want stuff i want experiences and like i'm 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 home base right now i got kids they're settled they're grounded but when they leave i'm not going to be grounded i'm out i'm i'm doing cameron harold i'm digital nomad
1: so that Um, was something that was something that that helped me was my youngest had just gone away to university so he was out and he decided to go to university 3000 miles away. So he was gone. Oh, wow. right. Like he, I was going to see him at Christmas and summer. <clears throat> and um, so like last summer, as an example, he, he was in Greece backpacking with some friends. So he dropped by at our wedding and hung out for three days. And then he met up with us in Denmark and spent three days in Denmark. And then he came to Estonia for three days. So I saw my son in three different countries last summer. My other son, and they're both both my boys are going to come over to France and go skiing with us over New Year's this year. And in fact, we're going today to pack up all stuff to make sure that their gear's all ready to fly over. So I want to make sure they have all their shit ready. And um, yeah, it's just it's more it's more sharing experiences with them than it is about things.
0: What so so now that you're you're you guys are officially you know on the road. What's the, how's that, is that like, Hey, we just go where we want to go? Or is it like, we, I mean, obviously you're working on the road. Do you have, do you rent places a month at a time? Like, or is it a mixed Sure. Like what, how does that work?
1: We, um, I, I, we have an entire, um, I could screen share to show you, but it's confusing when we're using the same app, but we have an entire calendar essentially planned out in a spreadsheet until the end of 2023 right now. So we know, and we were just making some adjustments to it. Um, we know where we're going to be virtually by week till the end of 2023.
0: And and are you, in some places, are you staying longer than others? Is, yeah. like, is it based on work? How did you guys design that?
1: Yeah, we're going to be like, we'll be over in Israel for a month, um, starting right after Thanksgiving. U.S. Thanksgiving we will be in Israel for the entire month of December. We're going to fly up to Geneva for two days and hang out in Geneva. My boys are going to fly over, meet us in Geneva. Then we're going to ski in the 12 LA area of France for a week. They're going to fly home, and we're going to come back and spend some time in um, Arizona. We're going to do some stuff in Sedona, and then we're going to jet off to um, Dubai and um, Egypt for all of March. So oh man, it's just like where do we want to hop to, right? So yeah, so it gives having a little bit of a plan gives us the security of at least knowing where we're going to be. It allows my EA to be able to plan stuff like speaking events and, and, you know, work that I do with my clients and, you know, CEO Alliance events and stuff that I run. So it just, and, and even going to certain masterminds, like flying back for Ted in April, um, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm in certain places or regions of the world to, to be able to run my business from.
0: So did you keep a, did you keep a home base in the States? Do you guys, do you still have that place in Arizona? No, no, no there's or nothing, no home base, Airbnb like everything's like, everything, like no. in storage. no.
1: no. We have a, we have a, I have a five foot by 10 foot storage locker in the U S with some of my wife's um, family heirloom stuff. I have a five foot by 10 foot storage locker in Vancouver with my Persian carpet from 30 years ago. That's going to one of my kids and my, my great, great grandfather's safe that's going to one of my kids and some family heirlooms and my art that will eventually come over to to our place in Dubai. We're probably going to buy a place in Dubai next year as a, a hub. um, So we can go back there kind of once a quarter for a month, but really it's, there's nothing man. Five foot by 10 isn't very much.
0: Uh, that's five, uh, anyone that's not good at math, five foot by ten is fifth is was that five hundred square feet? No, five by ten is fifty square feet 50 times square two. Feet. You yeah. <laughs> you have <laughs> your t- my office. It's,
1: it's, it's the size of a large pool. It's the size of a pool table.
0: <laughs> so my office is about. 12 by 15 so i got about an extra 50 square uh, what, what is that no I don't you, know, an extra 250 square feet than your entire life
1: times as much space in your office as i have in my in my storage locker
0: <laughs> so hey listen listeners out there imagine if you took your whole life and put it in a 50 square foot locker. And then, like, just imagine that. Most people listen to this. Even if you're in America, the average square foot of a house is like 2,300 square feet, 23 times both you and your wife's storage is put together. So that is, I mean, that is food for thought. But I, man, I'm telling you this right now. I think I, you're a little older than me, but I'm always, a li- like, I always get it. Like, I, I will say this I got into Ted because Cameron introduced me to Ted, you know? Uh, a lot of the the stuff that you're doing on the coaching side has has really, like, motivated me. But this thing that you're doing with your life, I'm telling you, like, that's my chapter 10 years from now. I'm there. I'm I'm Well, I'll it.
1: tell you, you can also do a lot of this with, do you know Adam Daly, who's an entrepreneur's organization member from San Diego?
0: Uh, the name sounds familiar. I don't know him personally, though.
1: He might have even been in your BOG class. Maybe not. I don't know. He might have been in your BOG class, or maybe it was the year after. But Adam wrote a book. I'll have to find out what it's called. It's basically like how to travel the world and take your kids with you. Um, really? There's no reason why you couldn't take your kids and go travel with them for four months next summer and literally rent your place out on Airbnb or just close it. You don't even need the money. Just close the door and let somebody check on it once a week and check your garbage and mail and just go in and Airbnb and, and do Amsterdam for a month and do you know Stockholm for a month and do Barcelona for a month and do, um, I don't know, Prague for a month and then come home and you'll change their lives or go for two weeks. Yeah.
0: this episode is brought to you by la quinta by Wyndham. your work can take you all over the place like texas you've never been but it's going to be great because you're staying at la quinta by Wyndham. their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead and after you can unwind using their free high-speed wi-fi tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book your stay today at lq.com You know, so it's interesting you said that. So I did Oaxaca, Mexico for a month last year. And that was the first time we did it. And we rented a house by this like cool Grammy award winning artist, but that was our home base. And we would go and, you know, but it was the first time. Yeah, we were there. Amazing amazing city, right? Great food. but yeah, no, I love that. I told my wife that. I said, look, if we have the ability to travel like but you got to make it happen, you know? And I think, I think a lot of people make excuses for this. Like what, what's your advice to people that are going to go and listen to this and get motivated and then be like, oh, but I can't do it. I, I don't have the time. I don't have the space. Like what's the, what, what's your advice to someone with, I mean, obviously you could talk yourself out of anything, but See what's your the flip advice side. to someone? See what's on that?
1: The flip side. I'm doing it. See you on the flip side. Like I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't believe in excuse. Like, yeah, you're right. You, you, you it's, it, the glass is half full or half empty. You got to decide, and you got to make your decisions. There, I have no overhead anymore. So the people are like it's expensive to travel. Well, when you sell everything, you don't have a mortgage and car insurance and house insurance and security bills and utility bills and, and then travel is travel. So I don't take vacations. We're always traveling, so I don't have no vacation costs. I don't buy clothes. Amazon never shows up at my home, so I'm not spending money. Food is food is food. You know, you can, you can like, I got breakfast, brec- I ate breakfast in my Airbnb this morning. I had, I went to this grocery store last night, I got granola and some yogurt and some fruit.
0: You know, plus if, plus if, depending on where you're traveling, there's, there could be a geographic arbitrage, right? If you're making us dollars and traveling somewhere inexpensive, like,
1: yeah, I haven't touched on that. I'm actually a permanent resident of Barbados. I only have to go for one day a year. My corporate tax is three and a half percent. My personal tax is capped at 20 grand, but we're moving to um, Dubai, which is zero and zero. And um, it's, it's legal and above board. I'm Canadian, so I'm not taxed on worldwide income. So there's a very big arbitrage opportunity for me happening.
0: Oh, my gosh. Man, <laughs> Cameron, every time I get a hang with you is a gift. Um, and I'm so happy that all these amazing things are happening. I'm so stoked about the book. You know, I wanted to end on one thing before we give everyone all the details on ways to connect with you. And there's so many. Um, really cool ways for people to interact with you and your businesses and in and, and the work that you 've done, whether it be books, mm-hmm. podcasts, business um, you know one of the things that this is the show is the greatness machine and and you don 't know this or if I'm, if you if I said it to you it was a while ago, this show was born out of the TEDx I did in San Francisco. I said if I could turn my TEDx into something I do constantly, it would be this show. so yeah. this was born out of me watching you do a TEDx talk. That motivated me to get involved with Ted, which then turned into what we're doing right now. So cool. big thank you for you, my friend. You're um, welcome.
1: Let, let me tell, tie one thing into the great Mr. machine, then we'll leave with it. because We didn't even talk about my course, but I, I launched a course two years ago called Invest in Your Leaders. And my belief is that the more that we invest in our managers and leadership skills, the more we can make them great leaders, the more they'll grow the company for us. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs grow their own skill, but they forget to really grow the skill set, not in what you do as a company, but growing their skills as coaches, growing their skills at interviewing, growing their skills at time management, at conflict management. So that whole Investing in Leaders course is worthwhile checking out too.
0: Def- yeah, let's definitely get the, get that, details of that, and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I want to end on one question. You know, the greatness machine is all around, like I mentioned earlier in the show, people that have lived their passions, the great greatness world. What do you think is the number one barrier to greatness that you've overcome in your life? And what and what was really, like, how did you do it?
1: Can you rephrase it?
0: Yeah, like, I think that a lot of times people make excuses for why they can't create greatness in the world. So I, 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 I've been wanting to learn this. And I was talking to a friend, and he said, you know, you should ask this question. So the question I asked, I know it's, it might be a tough question, but What's the number one barrier to greatness that, that, that you've confronted in your life and how did you overcome it?
1: I think for me, it's the insecurity. Um, I was a bad student. I, I, I could show you my transcript. I keep it on my phone to remind me of how bad I was as, as a student. But I think for me, there was that insecurity of trying hard and being told I was bad constantly and having to, you know, I, I had 16, 18 years of the school system where I'd, I'd study really hard and they'd say C-minus. Study really hard, 65%, right? So for me, there's that huge insecurity of not being smart enough. And then my dad told me I never had to be the one who had to figure it all out. I just had to do what the smart people were doing. So my R&D stands for rip off and duplicate. So as an example, your podcast is blowing up and doing well. I reach out to you, I'm like, dude, how's your podcast doing so well? And you introduced me to a guy, so I just hire him. So he's now gonna help me with my podcast. So I'm, I'm not gonna try to figure out, there's smart people who are already doing cool stuff. I'm just going to do what they're doing.
0: I love it, man. I, I, and I'm so excited that we ended the show with you teaching R (laughs) and (laughs) D. It's one one of my favorite Cameronisms is R and D baby. I I probably, it's, I probably say it at least 15 times a month. (laughs) Um, man, uh, Cameron, what a, what a treat to have you on the show. So, uh, just so, so we can recap, what are ways for people to connect with you? Where do they get the book? Where do they get the course? Um, just give us well, the rigmarole and we're going to put it in the show notes.
1: Well, I would love you to reapply and come back to Ted this, this April, because I'll tell you, your audience of next people that you want to be interviewing are all walking around Ted and you should be there. So you can come and hang out with my wife. So I would get your application back into Ted. Um, if you want to use my name, send me a note. I'll make sure like, let's get you back in for sure. Yeah, all of my books are on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Um, my COO Alliance website, and then the Cameron Herald website, and the Invest in Your Leaders, is is investinyourleaders.com. And then my Second in Command podcast, I should definitely check that out too.
0: Guys, check it out. Podcast, and the average listener podcast listens to six. One of your six needs to be Cameron besides the greatness machine. Go get the book, Second in Command. Check it out, COO Alliance. If not for you, for your Second in Command. And check out the course. All the above, we're going to put it in the show notes. Cameron, so much gratitude having you here today, my friend. It's so good to reconnect with you. I'm so good to see all the thriving and all the greatness you're doing in the world.
1: Darius, thank you. It was really nice seeing you as well. And nice catching up. Thank you. Uh,
0: Listen, listeners, um, thank you so much for uh, listening today. If you love this show, give us a review, share it with friends. Leaders are givers. This is how we learn is from learning from people that have been there and done that. And Cameron was so gracious to take time out of his schedule to do it. So Share this episode, go support Cameron, get the book. Let's make this a bestseller. With that said, peace out. We love you guys. You are listening to The Greatness Machine and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us